Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish, and one thing that they wish they could bury and forget. My guest in this episode is the multi-award winning stand-up comedian, Ian Smith. Ian is a regular at the biggest comedy clubs in the UK and has developed a reputation as an exciting, creative comic, mixing conversational, energetic storytelling and observations with unique set pieces and an exceptional skill for improvisation, he says reading the script. He makes the popular Dave podcast, The Magic Sponge, alongside Rob Beckett, which has topped the iTunes comedy chart, and he also makes Northern News with the lovely Amy Gledhill. More of that in a minute. Ian's Edinburgh Fringe shows have received critical acclaim, award nominations and runs at the Soho Theatre in London. And this year, he was nominated for the Edinburgh Comedy Award, formerly the Perrier Award, the most prestigious comedy award in the country, I'd say. He's also a talented actor, starting off as a lead in the BBC Two sitcom Popatron and the award-winning short film Bonsai. He's gone on to star alongside Catherine Parkinson in the Sky comedy Officially Special and have a leading role in the major BBC One drama The Ark, starring David Threlfall. Over the past few years, Ian has cemented regular writing work on The News Quiz, The Now Show, Mock the Week and News Jack. Ian will be touring his own one-man show throughout the UK in 2024, so book your tickets now. But first, he's going to reveal the five things from his life he'd like to have in a time capsule. And I'm going to try and put them in one for him. So I hope you enjoy listening. So you do a lovely podcast with Amy Gledhill, don't you? And I have to say that Amy is one of my favourite guests I've ever had on the air. She um, laughs for England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's very good doing it. I, I can be quite a a quiet laugher, so I'm only sort of facially showing my appreciation. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, doing doing a podcast with Amy, it it makes you sound like the funniest person. <laughs> <laughs> You're suddenly Steve Martin, aren't you? Everything yeah. you say, genius. Yeah. She is brilliant. I love her. So, um, yeah, Northern News, is that, that's what it's called, isn't it? Yeah. We were basically two Northerners living in London, going around any sort of news outlet we can find to sort of to get all the stories that we've missed. But, we, yeah, we're very much focusing on the, like, pigs trapped on a roundabout <laughs> um, kind of level of journalism. Yeah. Well, I was rather hoping that you were going to be in Ghoul because that's where you're from, isn't it? Mm. And I've been through Ghoul once in my life, obviously on the way to Hull. Yeah. And I've only really been in Ghoul Station. But I remember it specifically because eventually coming back, as I went through all those fantastic stations, it's very clear to a southerner that this is the north. So names yeah. like Ghoul. And I remember actually almost starting a conversation. Well, I did start a conversation with a number of people on Twitter about how you pronounced. So it's B-R-O-U-G-H. Is that bruff? 
Yeah, I would say bruff, yeah. Yeah, bruff. The reason I started it is because the O-U-G-H in English, as we know, can be pronounced an enormous number of ways, mm. as in thought. So it could be brawl, it could be uh, through, it could be brew. Yeah. What else is there? Oh, bow, as in a bow of a tree. So it could, could, be, could be brow. Brow sounds a bit nicer. It sounds nicer, doesn't it? There are about five or six ways of pronouncing that collection of letters. Yeah. It kept me busy for most of the train journey, discussing yeah. it with people. Yeah, it seems to be the rule up north that if there's a more aggressive way to pronounce it, that's probably the one that we've gone with. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Bruff and Ghoul don't sound like nice places. And it's near to, is it, is it uh, Gilberdike, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Gilberdike, Swinefleet, it's, <laughs> yes. it's nearby. It's great up there. I haven't been to Hull, well, I think since I was a young man. And going along the estuary there, you know, it's all sort of, sort of open. It's so exposed. Oh, yeah. The elements really come at you on the um, east coast of Yorkshire. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, um, yeah Hull, Hull can be um, really beautiful. Um, I guess there's a big use of can be in that sentence. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, there, there's really beautiful areas. Um I think Ghoul has one nice walk um, <laughs> by by the riverbank. And mm -hmm. I think that's really our our highlight. Um, and then it, <laughs> it sort of um, decreases in quality a little bit the further you get away from that. Yeah. The thing I found in Hull that surprised me, really, because actually my experience of working in the north is that people are very confident in where they live and they're mm. very proud of where they live, and rightly so, I think, in most cases. But actually in Hull... Almost everybody said to me, what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, taxi drivers, people in pubs, what are you doing in Hull? Yeah, I think I find that really endearing, though. Because, yeah, I know I know, it's nice to have a sense of pride in where you're from, but I think, I've, yeah, there's something I find quite endearing about people going, why would you come here? I don't know why <laughs> we're here. What have we done? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm drawn to a, a lack of confidence over um, arrogance. Yeah. The, the kind of big news story from Ghoul recently, which I, I found baffling, was, um, I don't know if you'll remember seeing these, but um, our main sort of iconic structures are two now disused water towers um, <laughs> that are called the Salt and Pepper Pot, um, because one of them is kind of a bit stouter and white, and the other one is like a long, thin brown tower. So for the 200th birthday, it was of the town they're wanting to make ceramic salt and pepper pots of the salt and pepper pot water towers and the town council had a vote as to which one should have salt in and which one should have pepper in um considering one of them looks exactly like a pepper grinder <laughs> and the other one is white like salt but they were completely divided 50 50 really because apparently um a lot of the members of the council predate Pepper grinders. Right, yeah. Um, it's an older council, and they don't remember a time before pepper grinders. So um, <laughs> it was put to the whole town. They, they arranged a town-wide vote as Brilliant. to um, where salt and pepper should go <laughs> in probably the easiest decision anyone's ever had to make. Yeah, well, let's call the thing that looks like a pepper pot. The pepper thing, shall we? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. That often happens with councils. I love the fact that councils get wound up in those ridiculous debates. Yeah. We had a cinema in the town I lived in, or I live in. So I live in Tunbridge Wells in Kent, and mm. we had a cinema here for many years, right in the centre of town. And, of course, one of the great conglomerates or one of the big organisers of cinemas decided they were going to build an external one, you know, one down in the industrial estate, mm. even though you can't get to it. The council were delighted. They agreed, and they also sold them the site of the old cinema, which they knocked down. And it was knocked down about 20 years ago. Eventually, the council bought it back, but it's still a derelict site right in the middle of town. And wow. whenever they ask people, which they have done on about four or five occasions, they've done a survey to see what people would like it to be when they eventually develop it, 98% always say, a cinema. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think local councils might be some of the oddest groups of people. Yeah, okay. I've asked you to think of five things that you'd want to put into a time capsule, mm. and I'm interested to see what you've come up with. Yeah, it's quite... Um, I always find things like this weirdly high pressure, because um, 
I was trying to think of, um, you know, when you're trying to think of positive memories from your life and then sort of struggling to think of ones you want to talk about. And then uh, then I was having an existential crisis and thinking, have I not had four positive things in my life? <laughs> yeah, my instinct is always not to be um, too sincere. So I've, I've ended up being incredibly specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the first thing I chose was the slow-cooked lamb at Mudbrick Vineyard in New Zealand. <laughs> How brilliant. How many times have you been to New Zealand? Um, I've been twice, but Great. both times with um, having been kind of taken out there. For a show? Yeah, to do um, New Zealand Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. And never really travelled abroad when I was a kid. So I'm always um, very grateful to the people who take you out, but almost disproportionately so um, being taken out there to do comedy, just it just felt like the the sort of craziest thing um, <laughs> to be travelling to like the other side of the world. So I think I spent the whole month there, kind of in a sort of giddy, enthusiastic <laughs> disbelief. Yeah. Um, and also saying, have you not got any comedians of your own? Yeah, I mean, I I was very aware of not wanting to point out any problems with why they're bringing us out here so that it didn't stop happening in the future yeah yeah but it was just such a nice time and i think um i'm part of like where this kind of story comes from i guess is when you do the edinburgh fringe there's um hundreds and hundreds of comedians and thousands of shows on Mm. so all of the friendship groups and cliques that you're already involved in just exist in a different location And what I love about New Zealand and some of the other international festivals is you're kind of out there with maybe six or seven other UK comedians. Mm. So you kind of have this enforced gang. (laughs) And it's something I really miss doing stand-up is having um, a group of people who you see and work with regularly. Mm. Um, So I've done like very very limited um, acting jobs. And I think they're always like some of my kind of happiest memories because you have a an ensemble so yeah it was very nice to be out there with kind of six or seven people Mm. who you kind of hang out with every day and yeah one of these trips was to Wahiki Island just off Auckland which has about kind of 16 vineyards on it Mm. so you have a little swim in the sea walk up to a vineyard get slowly (laughs) drunk and eat food and it just feels like a very ideal time and so how was the lamb then? Beautifully cooked? Yeah, well, it was so good that I, I got told off by the restaurant for complimenting it too loudly. <laughs> um, I, apparently I was um, shouting quite a lot, but all very well, well-meaning. Um, this was after you'd been to the vineyard? Um, I think we'd been to one vineyard. Right, and that's enough. Yeah, just, mm. just had wine. And then we journeyed up to the, the second vineyard. Um, which is maybe part of the problem. Um, yeah, and the, so then we we had um, dinner there. But I, I yeah, I I love lamb, <laughs> and um, this had I don't know how long it had been cooked for, but it was just kind of melting in your mouth, and the the flavour was incredible. Mm. And I remember at one point being stood up and asking quite loudly um, who cooked the lamb. I think I was, I think I was, on reflection, I think I was quite drunk. Um, Send me the chef. I want yeah. to marry him. Yeah. And um, I think I was talking to another table and asking if anyone of them had got the lamb or if they hadn't ordered yet that they should get it. And it, yeah, very enthusiastically, but I think maybe slightly unwelcome to the other guests. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, being slightly drunk on the the location and the company, so I'm putting a lot of um, this in, into the lamb when it was maybe other factors. Mm. But um, yeah, it's the first time I got told off for complimenting something too too loudly. <laughs> I can understand that enthusiasm though for those moments where you're sort of in it's sort of an enforced camaraderie. But actually, it turns out to be really genuine, doesn't it? Mm. Because maybe it's a lesson for all of us that actually when you're forced to get on with people, you sort of do, don't you? Yeah, and the law is maybe sort of worst case when I've done those international festivals, there'll be one or two people who maybe aren't very sociable or, or, or don't get on with people, and they always tend to kind of do their own thing. But yeah, you, you yeah. do realise, especially with 
with comedy, and I suppose other jobs as well, you immediately have this um, unique connection with someone that you enjoy standing up in front of people and trying to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. And you have these shared locations and gigs and, and stories in your life that it feels very easy to get along with people. And it's nice to kind of be forced into those friendship groups. Yeah. And connections, of course, with lots of other people, mm. because I suppose that's the nature of touring and performing in clubs. If you're doing a one-man show and you're just touring that, which you are at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, well, I'll be, I'll be heading on tour um, next year, so starting January 2024. Right. So, I mean, that's an exciting thing, but it's a lonely thing. Yeah. Because it's just you at a venue. You turn up, you sit in a dressing room on your own, there's no one to talk mm. to really apart from the people you're going around with, your crew. Yeah, yeah. Whereas turning up at venues where you've got four or five comedians on that night and you're all in the dressing mm. room together, that is sociable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and especially I think when you're, like if you're doing a weekend away or, yeah, if you are kind of lucky enough to be abroad, there's sort of a, a thing where you're like, well, we can't, just do our own thing here. We're, we're in this kind of situation for a month. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, some of my best friends in comedy, um, I, I was out in Australia with Maisie Adam and Marcus Birdman, and we were there for kind of five weeks before the pandemic mm. kind of cut it off. But um, they're like my favourite people in comedy. Yeah. And I think I'd gigged with them both maybe once or twice and, you know, liked them but really just didn't know them at all. And then come away from that five weeks with them being people who I would like call, but probably to, I mean, they probably don't enjoy this, but if, if I have like a problem in life, I would maybe call them for advice. So, I mean, they probably <laughs> regret um, having met me in Australia because um, <laughs> I do tend to overthink things and then ask other people's input to them. But um, Yeah, Maisie, Maisie, I know I haven't spoken to you for three years, yeah. but... <laughs> it's rather lovely, mm. though. I also think that the retaining of that affection is really great because you get that thing where you're enforced into a situation where you're going to be together all the time. And in fact, there's no one else to socialise with, so you mm. do. Then you become really close friends with people and then it stops. Yeah. And so you have to deal with that constantly, I think, as a performer. Mm. Yeah, and like I, I, I found that with the kind of acting jobs that I've done, um, maybe a bit longer ago now, but... Um, you did The Ark, didn't you, with David Threlfall? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I yeah, yeah I love David. He, um, when he was doing that, I, I would sometimes feel, I'd have a bit less confidence because I was the only kind of comedian there who wasn't like a kind of classically trained actor. Mm -hmm. And David was so good at like, I think probably knowing that I had a bit of that... And if I had, like, a good take or did something well, then he'd be kind of straight over and, like, you nailed that. That was great. You know, I do it, like, <laughs> um, and just kind of building your confidence. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, and then you kind of lose touch a bit. And I, I always feel very self-conscious. If I haven't seen someone for a little while, I always feel a bit weird maybe messaging and going, oh, we should meet up for a coffee or something. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, David was doing um, Don Quixote, in London and emailed him slightly kind of apprehensively being like, I'm going to come along. It'd be great to have a chat thinking that he might just be like, ah, we filmed that ages ago. I'm not really bothered about that. But yeah, he was saying, yeah, come see me afterwards. And yeah, it's just so nice to have a kind of connection and experience with someone and then feel like you can see them kind of two or three years later and that that's very mm -hmm. easy to kind of click back into. Yes. It's unusual for people to lose that, to mm. let it drop and go, no, it's a long time ago. I don't, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's only happened to me once in my life. Really? But that's very unusual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think um, maybe this is just me kind of projecting how I feel, but because I, yeah, I think it's whenever I felt to myself, oh, maybe I shouldn't message that person. I haven't seen that person for a, a year. Is it weird to kind of um, go like hang out or have a coffee or something? I think almost every time I've reached out to someone I worked with, or they've always been very happy to hear from you. Mm. But I think it's very uncommon that they're not, but it can be quite common that you feel weird contacting someone. Um, yeah, absolutely. Particularly if, say, their career has, has rocketed oh, yeah, and they've yeah. taken off, you know. And then you think, I don't want them to think that I'm doing this because they're now famous. Yeah, yeah. 
But there you are. You can always invite them for a lovely piece of lamb. <laughs> yeah. You know where that is. Yeah. Maybe I need to improve my own lamb cooking. Um... <laughs> it's disappearing from menus all over mm. the place, lamb. It's uh, Maybe it's become too expensive, but I've noticed the last couple of weekends I've been out for Sunday lunch in different pubs mm. and restaurants, and not one of them served lamb. Yeah. Maybe this will be the start of a renaissance. Let's get it back on the menu. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, let's put that slowly cooked piece of lamb Uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm salivating now. Yeah. That's in as number one. Okay. Right, Ian, what's number two? Um, so this is a, another um, obscure bit of travelling, but um, the one memento I have from visiting Chernobyl with my brother um, <laughs> yeah. is a, a kind of like Chernobyl patch that you can put on a jacket because we went there together, um, this is like a, mm. a while ago now, and you wouldn't expect them to have a gift shop, but there's a, <laughs> a gift van. And I think my brother was more confident than me in... My brother bought a T-shirt, I think. And I was a bit <laughs> wary of wearing a T-shirt from a um, place that seems to be permanently located in a radioactive area. Yes. So I, I just bought a little um, a little patch. What did you say? Stay clear, I've been to Chernobyl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they. everyone there is very relaxed about it. But yeah, it's um, weirdly, it's the only holiday that me and my brother have gone on together. And it, it was a lot of fun. It, I mean, it was very odd. Well, that was the question, <laughs> yeah. really. I mean, what on earth made you think that would be an interesting place to go to? Well, I think, um, well, largely because at that point, my brother hadn't really been abroad. Like a lot of our family holidays and things we do be like in the UK. Mm. So we're kind of talking a bit about that, and my brother had been saying he's quite interested in like abandoned places and like the photography of these kind of um, slightly kind of ghostly, mysterious kind of places like that. Mm. But yeah, so he'd always been interested in going, and I guess it's like a, a fascinating historical event. But yeah, I'm not sure how serious he was, but I thought, well, that'd be a great thing for us to do together. So I just bought that as a kind of Christmas present. Um, and this has gone a while a while back, but um it's surprisingly cheap to um to to get out there <laughs> Is it? as a holiday. Um yeah. like flights and I mean there are still lots of people who live in that area, aren't there? Mm. They just say, No, 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 this is where I was born, I'm staying here. <laughs> yeah. Particularly yeah. the countryside around it. I read somewhere that it's actually really returned to this extraordinary nature reserve. Mm. And the animals aren't dropping dead of radiation poisoning. All yeah, over the place. Yeah. They all seem to be doing fine. Yeah. But I think the danger is not that the general sense of uh, radiation in that area, but just every now and again, you'll come across something like a piece of polonium mm. and it's absolutely lethal. Yeah. Well, one thing they did on, on the tour, so you, you have these um, Geiger counters around your neck and mm. I think it's something like background radiation for us, like now, would probably be 0 0.05. Mm -hmm. And as you're driving closer, you see it kind of coming up to 0 0.2. Um, and then it'll get to 0 0.5 and the Geiger counter start beeping, which is not reassuring because you're aware that you're <laughs> in a place that you shouldn't be. But um, they on the tour, there would be occasional spots that when they've been trying to decontaminate and clear the area, they'll have missed. And mm. the tour guides have kind of found these. So um, at one point there's a, a open kind of very small drain cover and they would ask someone on the tour to put the Geiger counter right next to the drain cover. And then all of a sudden you see the reading on the Geiger counter go up to like 30.4 or something. Uh. And you think, well, we're supposed to be 0 0.05. Mm -hmm. So, But then everywhere else would be a lot lower. But yeah, there's little points that they've kind of learned to say, um, yeah, put the Geiger counter near this bit. Yeah. And it just hasn't been cleaned properly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's very worrying. But apparently um, you can visit Chernobyl and you get the same amount of radiation you would receiving like an X-ray right. or going on a transatlantic flight. So right. um, yeah. it's surprisingly healthy. The thing I always think about Chernobyl is you think the Ukrainians would have learned that not to trust the Russians when it came to things. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, clearly they have now, very sadly. Mm. But um, the effects of that explosion in that nuclear power station were just devastating, weren't they? And in fact, mm. what they did almost immediately was just wash it out constantly. They're just pouring water into it, which was flowing into mm. the river 
And then the river was flowing downstream. And only, I think, probably 10, 15 miles downstream. Nobody was told. They kept mm. it completely secret. So all those people continued oh, to yeah. farm the land, to drink the water. The, the accounts of the number of people who've died from the radiation poisoning, far more than it should have been because there are mm. whole areas that are still heavily contaminated and people are just farming them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, a somber sort of place to visit, but it, it, all, it feels so surreal, really, that you it kind of like it doesn't feel like that. Like the, you know, the tour guides are almost... You know, I guess like a tour guide in any kind of location, they're quite funny and mm-hmm. they they have little like jokes and things like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so when when you see the scale, you're you're only in a kind of small part of Pripyat, the city that was made and then quickly evacuated. But um, really, you don't get a sense of like just how much of an area was very quickly evacuated. Yeah, but yeah, the the whole thing was a disaster, like in terms of how it was dealt with and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um. I do think there's something um, darkly comic, not in the event itself, but in how you can establish like a tourist industry <laughs> a- around it, because it really is like any other kind of tour guide, you mm. know, like an open top bus tour of London. Yeah, um, It has all the kind of workplace settings of of any other place that you could go to like that, but just this kind of incredibly dangerous, mm. odd environment. Very weird. Very weird, mm. but in a way, as you say, slightly encouraging in the sense that if you think that you, know, you see mankind as a bit of a blight on the world, which we probably are, you see the recovery of an area like that when people are taken away from it. And wolf packs and all sorts of animals coming through and surviving and regenerating and the forest regenerating. And then you look at this town slowly crumbling away with plants growing through it, and you think to yourself, well, not long after we're gone, it won't matter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those those really beautiful um stray dogs who would um come up to the, the tour group. But um one woman was um stroking the dogs and then um about ten minutes later the tour guide was telling a story about the dogs and then said, um, but please don't stroke them when they come um, nearby. <laughs> so everyone was taking a few steps away from the woman who'd been um yeah, a bit too enthusiastic with the um radioactive dogs. Yes. Well, if you ever go there again, you have to get one of those bikes and then you stick a, a peg with a card on it like they used to do when you were a kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then you just cycle slowly through. It just, just goes click, 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 yeah. click. And as you go past people, just speed up. So it goes click, 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 click. <laughs> Everybody will panic. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's put that into the time capsule then. That's um, one of the most unusual things we've had. <laughs> <laughs> What's number three here? Right, it's the good old ad break that every podcast listener loves. So go on, indulge yourself. And once your purchasing appetite is sated, we will return. Try not to dribble. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Welcome back. Okay, let's put those tissues away and get straight back to Ian Smith to find out what else he'd like to have in his time capsule. So this is maybe um, quite vague, really, but I have a weird nostalgia about this. But basically, any album, and I guess it would usually have to be a kind of CD or maybe a vinyl that has a hidden track at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like they, that used to excite me so much when I was young and I'd buy a CD and you kind of finish listening to the album and it's it's sort of just playing out and you've kind of gotten about it. And then 20 minutes can pass and you start hearing music again <laughs> and would get so excited at this kind of bonus content and feeling like I, I discovered something. And I feel like that's gone now largely because of kind of online streaming. Mm. It's very difficult to hide anything. And like, I remember buying an album and the last track was 27 minutes long. <laughs> and I thought, I don't think they've written a 27 minute long so it included a lot of silence and then this hidden track at the end. Mm. So, yeah, I, I don't like the um, the element of surprise that's been taken away from CDs. And the sense of being a real fan, that thing that mm. you, know, you actually listen to it enough times that you discover it. Yeah, yeah. See, now a hidden track on something would immediately be revealed by everybody mm. on social media. Whereas, in fact, yeah. when you were listening to them then, unless your mate at school said, no, leave it on next time, leave it on. Mm. And that's exciting. And you go, oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, like, I, I remember having a, a feeling like that. I don't know how long ago it would have been, but remembering this change of that maybe when a new album was coming out, I might have heard one of the songs on it. But if it was a band you loved, I would feel like, oh, I'm getting um, 12 new songs, of 12 mm -hmm. new potential things that I'm going to really love. Um, yeah. And they're all going to be um, a surprise, and I'm going to kind of discover them. I'm going to listen listen back to them. But often now, when a, a band I like are releasing an album, they're kind of trailing the album coming out by. Mm -hmm. You've kind of heard maybe four tracks before it's released. Yeah. So then when you get it, there's ten tracks on the album, and you're like, ah, so there's only six that are <laughs> new to me that are a kind of surprise. Yeah, I, I just used to really love the anticipation of. The people I love are doing a new thing mm. and I have to wait until this date and then I'm going to kind of gorge on it and revisit it. I feel like that's that's gone now. Yeah, um, because they really could surprise you, couldn't they, those mm. tracks, the tracks that you'd not heard. You think yeah. you know a band and then they suddenly do things. I'm thinking I wasn't old enough, I don't think, but I can imagine listening to the White Album by the Beatles mm. and there's a, the track, I think it's called Number Nine, where it just goes number nine, number nine, number nine. And it's got all this weird, and it goes on for ages. And it's, yeah. it's completely weird yeah. and nothing to do with anything you've ever heard from the Beatles before. And hitting that track as you were listening through, it would be extraordinary. There's also <laughs> Andy Summers, who was the guitarist on The Police, always had a track on the album. Mm. They would allow him and Stuart Copeland to have a track or yeah. Stingwood so that they got some royalties, I think. He put a track on, I think it's Ghost in the Machine, which is called Mother, which is basically him screaming the word mother <laughs> for about three minutes. It's very weird. And it's nothing yeah. like any police track. When you first hear it, I remember listening to it and thinking, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and now I really love it. Yeah, I really love those moments. And I think that's something else that really excites me with bands is when someone who isn't the lead singer leads a kind of track. Yeah, um, yeah just little things like that that maybe don't get as much. Yeah, I, I remember I'm, I really love a Scottish band called Biffy Clyro. Mm. And um, I think when they started out, their drummer used to do a lot of their vocals. And I love their lead vocalist, but occasionally you hear like the drummer like singing on a track and you're like, oh, yes, they've, they've, let, they've, let him, they've let him do it and he's really good. Well, that's quite, you know, when you think back to sort of George Harrison, when he finally did get the chance to sing, everybody went, oh, my God, he's a really good singer. Yeah, but yeah. You imagine trying to force your way as a younger member of the Beatles past mm. John Lennon and Paul McCartney. It's just not going to happen, is it? Yeah. I was never really a, a huge fan of the Red Hot Chili Peppers like mm. I, or people who really liked them. And I, I kind of like some of their stuff. 
But um, their guitarist, John Frusciante, I remember kind of hearing some of his backing vocals and hearing that he had solo albums and looking into them. And then he became one of my favorite musicians, mm-hmm. just like really different stuff and, and really beautiful and a bit experimental. And he never never plays live. I think he's maybe done two gigs as a solo artist. So there's this kind of aura around it. But um, mm. yeah, I, I went to see them in London just because he'd rejoined the band and just really wanted to see him. I was sort of focused on him whenever he was doing guitar solos or, or backing vocals. I was just obsessed with, with that. Mm. Um, yeah, any anything that's bit different or you feel like you've um, got something a bit special yeah absolutely everybody hears the single but you sort of go well actually my favorite track on that album is this i mean maybe Mm. the whole concept of albums has disappeared now with streaming you know you have uh, taylor swift for example re-recording whole albums and Mm. releasing them as albums and so maybe i don't know maybe it will cling on because it's a lovely thing to to know an album to know the the order of the tracks and to listen to them in that order I remember when they first did secret tracks on vinyl albums mm. and there was always a system to it that you would play it and if you just played it the normal way, you didn't find the, the track. It didn't come up. It would sort of divert it, divert the needle oh, away really? from it. So sometimes they would be in the middle. So it would it would just follow a groove that took it away from that track, Oh, which is great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's even, even more so than with a CD. It's like like a little puzzle that you have to solve. Maybe the more music gets modernised, the less mystery it has, basically. Possibly, yes. Mm. Well, I'll I'll keep my eye out for groove diversions. (laughs) And I love the idea that maybe there's an album out there that nobody's ever found it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's something really nice about that. I imagine maybe frustrating for the person who recorded the song. but um, <laughs> It's the best thing I ever wrote. Yeah. Okay, right, let's put those hidden tracks into the time capsule. So we've got two left, Ian. Okay. So, yeah, the next thing would be, um, so again, this is my um, travel-based, but not for everyone, I suppose, but um, the Northern Lights, I think they remain the best thing I've ever seen. Um, um, the most kind of magical experience I've had in my life. Yeah. Um, and we're just going through a period where there's been extraordinary activity of the Northern Lights. People have seen them mm. as far as southern England. Even. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think like I, anyone who, um, if it kind of comes up in conversation, it's the sort of thing where I think I can't recommend enough going somewhere where a lot of people go to Iceland and you see them in Iceland and they can be very, like, vivid. I sort of went on holiday to Norway really kind of specifically to try and see them. Mm. And I, I went to a place called Tromsø, right at the top of Norway, on the kind of edge of the Arctic Circle where yeah. I kind of did my research of the, where they're supposed to be quite strong. Mm. Because I was so desperate to see them that I found the trip quite nerve-wracking, really, because you put a lot of expense into going there mm. and kind of going on one of these tours where people who know what they're doing will um like if if there's cloud coverage they'll drive to a place where it's clearer and they mm-hmm. know all these locations um but yeah you've you've put quite a lot of um money and enthusiasm into it yeah particularly if it's the first time you think so mm. this is it i'm going to go and see these things i've always wanted to see and they yeah. say sorry it's cloudy yeah, and and they really they say that to you before and on the website that if the weather is not suitable, if if it's too cloudy, we're we're just not going to be able to see them. No. So the whole daytime, I'm looking up at the sky and going, ah, there's clouds, there's clouds. <laughs> um, and there's not a lot of daytime, is there? It's sort of mm. dark for a lot of the time. So you think so? Yeah, surely yeah. I'll get the chance. Yeah, and and maybe I was very lucky, but the, the company I went with. They seem to know what they're doing. Of they, they have people they're talking to who are saying it's clear here. Mm-hmm. They, you know, I guess they're on top of all of the weather and everything. But yeah, it does feel completely like up to chance. I, I think the odds are. So something that I didn't realize that they said is that um, the the clouds really are the only thing that's 
stopping you. So mm. they're happening all the time to different levels and there's like kind of peaks and, and troughs, but um, they'll be there and you'll see them as long as it's a clear mm. sky. And I kind of didn't realise that they were just always... No, it's extraordinary, isn't it? How many times have you seen them? Just the once? Just once, yeah. Wow. And um, the guide was quite shocked at them because the night before she said they found it a little difficult when you could hear the guide going, wow, I, ha- I haven't seen them this kind of strong in a while. And you're thinking, oh, great. Mm. Like, we must be getting something. <laughs> and I have lots of pictures of me um, that the guide kind of takes where I, I have the smallest looking head because I'm wearing about <laughs> four different um, jumpsuits to yeah. to keep warm. But um, I, I was always obsessed with kind of space when I was a kid. And you can see the the kind of stars so so clearly yeah, it, it's sort of difficult to describe, really. But these, just these kind of, they're not very green when you look at them, I guess, naturally with your eyes. They've kind of got a greyish-green kind of tint to them. Mm. But you're still just seeing these kind of slowly changing, kind of swirling, like, bands of light in the sky. And it's, yeah, just completely magical. Yeah, particularly considering that this is just something that's been sent out by the sun and is going to keep going mm. for probably almost eternity. It yeah. just keeps moving away from the sun. And it's just because it's hit our gravitational field that it, mm. it, it reacts with it. And it's like yeah. it's been bent round it, and that's what creates that, that almost friction, it feels mm. like, doesn't it? Yeah, it's an yeah. astonishing thing. Because, yeah. I mean, in a way, almost anything you see in the sky at night is astonishing. Mm. And if you start to really think about it, the idea that we're now looking at, at images taken by telescopes that are... 14 billion years old that are actually back to the you know when it all started or Mm. did it you know or is it just a a continually coming together going apart coming together going apart that takes Mm. such an enormous amount of time that it's impossible for us to even get our heads ready at all yeah yeah it's amazing yeah i really i have some friends who really don't like thinking about that when (laughs) because i i love when when there's a really clear sky and I'm looking and saying to people, why, every one of those stars, then there's, there's um, you know, planets around and there's this, and, like, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, and you can also, that star that you think is a star, that's a galaxy. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, I really, I kind of, I, I love thinking about that, but I know some people think about it and then have a little bit of a crisis of <laughs> realising how insignificant we all are. <laughs> but, you know, you can turn that round. If they ever have that again... You've got to realise that the light from those stars started its journey, for some of them, millions of years ago. And it's been Mm. travelling through space in a straight line for all that time. And it's just ended its journey at the back of your eye. Mm. And that, I think, makes me feel important. Yeah, I mean, when you look around and think, we could be it, Mm. um, you sometimes do despair a bit of thinking... I'm not sure if we should be the the most advanced yeah. intelligence in the universe, but mm-hmm. um, I guess that we are. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a nice feeling to be um, at the top of the um, universal intelligence charts. Yeah, let's hope we can do something with it. Yeah, but I'm very jealous that you've been to see the the Northern Lights. I stood outside the house the other day when somebody said that they were actually possibly going to reach this low down into England. Mm. I stood for ages looking at the dark sky, hoping it would happen. And I live in a very dark street, in a bit of a town, Mm. but actually I can really see the stars. And nothing came. So I was, you know, just a little glimpse would have been enough for me. Mm. But how lovely, the Northern Lights, yes. Well, let's put them in there, let them twinkle away. Fantastic. Okay, so we've got one thing you want to reject from your life, Ian. Yeah. So I was very split between. Um, so um, one thing I was thinking of, largely because I've just moved flat, is um, letting agents, which maybe feels un- <laughs> un- unfair. But um, the show I did at the Fringe this year was about stress and me trying to de-stress a bit. And the worst thing I did to try and de-stress is I went to a sensory deprivation flotation tank. Oh, God. And I found it to be a terrible experience. <laughs> um, and a lot of people I've spoken to who have done them have, have hated them. Mm. So I'm not sure how they stick around as a, as a business. <laughs> but um, 
If you if you haven't been in one before, there these tanks filled with really condensed salt water, so um, really high salt content, and you just kind of float effortlessly mm. on on the surface, and they tell you that the kind of weightlessness feeling means that you won't be able to tell where your body ends and the water begins, <laughs> and that you're just thoughts in the darkness because it they put the lid down, it's pitch black, can't hear anything. So, you, yeah, you're really just your thoughts in a dark space, which I think if you're stressed, is probably the last thing you want to do is just to be reduced to <laughs> just stressful you thoughts on your, your own. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I would move around the tank. I, I felt like I wasn't doing anything, but you were just slowly drifting around the tank and then hitting my head on the wall of the tank. And then it would like knock me into another wall. So I was. <laughs> slowly moving around like the old DVD screensaver logos <laughs> where like the kind yeah. of desktop thing. But the the worst thing is they tell you before you go in that if any of the water gets in your eyes, it will be incredibly painful, <laughs> which doesn't feel like an element of a relaxation experience, the pre-warning no. of um, potential pain. <laughs> now just relax. Yeah. Whatever you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I got... I got water in my eyes very early on into the experience. And their safety mechanism for if you have this really painful water in your eyes is that they've put a spray that they've hung up in the tank with normal water and you have to spray that into your eye Mm. to get the salt water out. But you can't see anything. (laughs) I've, I've rotated about 50 times and I can't really feel where my arms are. So trying to pick up this spray is a completely uh, useless activity. And the more you're like putting your hands up into the air and moving about, the more your centre of gravity goes, so the more salt water is going <laughs> into your eyes. And I eventually find the spray and so I tried to open my eye and spray this really hard, fast jet of water directly into my eyeball, which wasn't relaxing in itself. <laughs> no. Um so, yeah, the the whole experience I found strange. You're also completely naked. They only mention that when you get there. I thought you'd wear, like, swimming shorts. Yeah. But they tell you when you get there, you can't wear anything, otherwise it will affect the kind of feeling of weightlessness. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very vulnerable being um, naked in a sort of wet coffin, basically. <laughs> um, so it's I like, didn't enjoy it. No, people say it's supposed to be like going back to the womb. But mm. Who wants to do that? Yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, I think that's a strange desire of you know, if life's got troubling to the point where you think I'd rather just be back in the womb. <laughs> um, I think you've got to try and solve it rather than just make a big womb. Yes, and, um, <laughs> and go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think. Um, I don't think I'd enjoy being back in the womb if it's no. anything like a flotation tank. No, my first question would be how many people over sixty have been in this tank because mm. I feel when they say you can't tell where your body ends and the water starts over that age, and I am, I think I might be contributing to the water <laughs> yeah. in a way that other people wouldn't want to share. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that might happen quite a lot. Um, <laughs> it's not the sort that makes your eyes sting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, God knows how many people have, have been in before. They say that the salt water content means that it's completely sterile, but I don't know if that means that you can just go to the toilet in it and that's okay for the next <laughs> customer. But um, it doesn't look like they replaced the... Yeah, now you've said that, I am very worried about what I was um, swimming in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As with the womb, completely full of shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, absolutely. Let's put that awful tank. I can't think of anything worse <laughs> now you've mentioned Good. it. I want to stay well clear of it. So let's bury it in the time capsule and get rid of it. There we are. Ian, it's really nice to talk to you. It's lovely to meet you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on tour next year. Well, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Ian Smith. Thanks for sticking with us. And if you enjoyed the experience rather than just doing it out of a sense of duty, then please do subscribe on the podcast provider you most prefer, or all of them if you like. 
I mean, the more downloads, the more our income improves. So feel free to download us on every available provider. You can also work your way through all of them, clicking on five stars as a rating for my time capsule. And then on some, you will have the opportunity to write a glowing review to encourage new listeners to our efforts. Once you've done that, feel free to tell me or my son and producer John all about it on social media. I promise we read everything and respond as much as is possible, which turns out to be quite a lot of responses. We're on X. No, don't laugh. I'm sure it'll catch on eventually. Instagram, Facebook, occasionally on TikTok, where we write complete untruths to confuse the Chinese, and even threads, which sounds a bit like a 70s apocalyptic survival drama, doesn't it? Or doesn't it? Anyway, do follow away. The tuneful theme tune to My Time Capsule, which is playing away in the background, can easily be brought to the foreground by searching for it on Spotify using the search term My Time Capsule, the theme tune. Clever, eh? Or more interestingly, Pass the Peas music, the composer and performer of it. Either way, it's completely free. And talking of free... This isn't. If you really love this podcast and would like to support it, then why not give us £2.99 a month? And in return, we will give you this podcast ad-free. Plus, a bonus episode called My Time Capsule The Debrief. Details in the description, etc. If you're already a subscriber, then see you at the My Time Capsule Christmas party. Hey, hey! Finally, this was a cast-off production for Acast, produced by John Fenton Stevens. Right, I'll be back soon, but I should imagine that most of you left ages ago and are now happily listening to an episode of Off Menu. For the fools that... Sorry, I misread that. For the few that remain, here is a little joke. Did you hear that Elton John's rabbit joined the gym? Yeah, he's a little fit bunny. And in case I've already done that joke, and with over 350 episodes, I wouldn't be surprised, I'll leave you with this saying. Remember that usually, if you feel like a babe magnet, you almost certainly look like a fridge magnet. Bye! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.